0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Interesting story in the Toronto Star and a lot of investigative reporting going on and some great uh, reporting going on about uh, police and police activities over the last little while, last number of years actually. Uh, And now researchers have tracked nearly 150 charges against Ontario police officers since 2005. And, uh, well, the results are interesting, shall we say, because there has been a, a, a debate going on right now and an assertion by some people that there are really two sets of standards, uh, one for the public uh, who are charged with offenses and when police get charged with offenses. Wendy Gillis is a staff reporter with the Toronto Star. She's uh, the, written this article, the fabulous piece that, uh, that was appeared in the paper yesterday, uh, that outlines, I think, some things that need to be talked about here, and she joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to do just that. Uh, Wendy, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Bill.
0: Uh, This is, as I say, a bit a raging debate for the longest time in in the city of Toronto, but really right across North America, Uh, maybe even uh, brought to light even more so by some of the events that happened last summer in some American cities, Uh, but as uh, we've talked about on this program, we'd be naive to think that's something that happens over there. It's happening in every community these days, and a lot of questions are being asked about police and how they are treated.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that this is information that is really relevant um, at the best of times, but Definitely, in particular, um, as we're having this conversation now about police accountability, um, asking questions about the funding of police services. Um, so it's definitely timely in terms of, of knowing knowing kind of the outcome of these cases.
0: Well, there have been a number of incidents in the Hamilton area and Toronto, for that matter, obviously, about police that have been charged with offenses. And, and the protocol, of course, of going through uh, with the SIU, the Special Investigations uh, Unit. Uh and and how effective that unit is Uh, is there a bias there and and these are all questions that people are raising Uh, they don't like the length of time it takes for investigations oftentimes don't like the results uh, oftentimes aren't even being told what's going on or are they being told uh, why a decision has been made or what that decision was Uh, talk to us about the, the the research and what you found as you went through this
1: yeah absolutely so, just for your for your listeners, Special Investigations Unit is, of course, the civilian agency that investigates uh, police officers who are uh, involved in a death or a serious injury or if there are allegations of sexual assault. Um, these are civilian investigations, which means that um, the investigators are not police officers, um, and they specialize in these kinds of investigations. Um, I've been covering policing and police oversight for a very long time now Um, i i write a lot about the siu and i can tell you Mm -hmm. um you know we don't we don't tend to know um the outcome of the investigations and specifically the charges um you know of course i have followed some of the more high profile cases james fusillo very big case in the toronto area who was Um, charged and and, uh, convicted in the death of Sammy Ateem in 2013. Um, But these are usually individual cases, um, and we don't know sort of writ large kind of the impact of the uh, charges that are laid by the Special Investigations Unit. Um, And I'll just say... You know, one thing, one way to kind of examine how effective the SIU is, is typically looking at kind of how many cases result in charges. Um, so that's kind of looking at all of the investigations that they conduct and how many of those um, result in charges against police officers. And usually it's a very small percentage. And I will say that is a really imperfect way of gauging the efficacy of the special investigations unit. It kind of only tells you sort of, you know, Gauging the volume of complaints doesn't tell you a lot about some of the quality of the investigations. So this, what what we were just able to put, to uh, publish in the Toronto Star this week, is a more I would argue um, accurate way of looking at the quality of the investigations that are done by this police watchdog, and what um, you know what comes of them when they once they are charged. And of course, as I'm sure we'll get into, you know, it speaks to a lot more than the special investigations unit itself. It kind of once the SIU um, lays those charges against a police officer, it then goes into the hands of the Crown prosecutors and that kind of Mm -hmm. now that allows us to look at kind of the broader criminal justice system and how it treats these kinds of cases.
0: Well, and I'm glad you did this. And the, the piece does cover all the bases, and that's, that's why I wanted to, to get you on the program today to talk about this, uh, because it gives, a, 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 I think, a fair picture of what's going on. I mean, if you were to look at, for instance, stats in isolation, 147 charges were tracked uh, where the outcome was known, 51 charges, about a third led to a conviction. People are going to point to that and say, aha, see, it's a double standard. Uh, but then mm-hmm. you talk about some of the other factors, and the fact that, look, at what they do uh, does not necessarily lead to criminal charges. It's the Crown that makes that determination whether or not they want to press charges and mm-hmm. as you wrote in the piece and I, I, i'm thinking we know from many other capital crimes uh, one of the, the the bottom line elements where the crown is going to decide whether or not to proceed with this is the likelihood of conviction and and that's right. a key part of this isn't it
1: it really is yeah and it's, it's it's a little bit of a kind of if you're a criminal justice sort of nerd like me this is this is kind of interesting stuff but you know the basics of it is that the Special Investigations Unit, when they lay a charge against a police officer, what they require is something called reasonable grounds. I'm sure those of us that watch crime shows kind of understand what that is. It just means that, you know, there's, there's a realistic, you know, reason why you have come to believe that someone has committed a crime. Um, that threshold to proceed is different when you are a Crown prosecutor. It's, it's not just are there reasonable grounds that a crime has been committed here. It's can I prove it? So is there a reasonable prospect of conviction? And and of course, we know that when uh, a criminal offense goes to trial, it has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's a pretty high standard for a Crown prosecutor when they're looking at the evidence that they have in this folder. You know, does it look to them like they will be able to prove it? And that that can be particularly challenging when you are dealing with um, a police officer. And one of the reasons is that, Typically, um, and the research kind of goes into this in detail, typically police officers can get the benefit of the doubt um, in cases where it's kind of a, a credibility battle. So what I mean by that is when the evidence is kind of a he said, she said, or a he said, he said, you know, the, which, which is unfortunately the, um, the majority of the cases um, that, Well, I don't know if it's the majority, but many of the cases that the SIU is dealing with um, are kind of these credibility cases where there isn't, you know, specific evidence to look at, um, you know, like DNA evidence or, you know, something that goes beyond sort of just, you know, his word against another person's word
0: well and here's a great example of that from from the piece that you wrote in the star uh and it's assault cases uh, you know police officers being charged with assault uh in 40% of these assault cases the alleged victim was described as being in the process of committing a crime and in 30% of the cases they were actually resisting arrest so uh you know th- 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 when you look at that state and say look at the number of assault cases look these cops are in charge of assault," but these are guys that that you know basically say hey police violence and all this sort of stuff and uh, but they're they are in fact with the perpetrators and the officer is trying to uh, well get them under control whatever we don't know the, all the circumstances right. in each and every yeah. case but yeah. you know you have to you have to put that in perspective when you see that i mean anybody can lay a charge but which leads to an investigation and they may mm-hmm. say you know what that was frivolous you're just upset that the guy caught you, you and we're to arrest right you or they may say you know what it's worthy of pursuing and so you know the numbers uh, don't always tell the story do they
1: exactly yeah and i think you know that's an important point to make bill is that you know i'm so grateful that we have this information now as someone who who kind of um you know reports a lot on police accountability numbers can go a long way they can really help us quantify an issue but they certainly don't tell the whole story and i think that that's you know that's important to talk about here is that these are these are really specific kinds of investigations for the criminal uh, justice system to handle they're really complex um and you know that's for a number of reasons as i talk about in the piece there are Additional supports that police officers have that the average person who is charged with a, with a crime doesn't have access to, um, but there's also just these really unique set of circumstances um, from which charges typically arise. So you know, it's exactly what you just mentioned: the the um, assaults that allegedly happen in the course of an arrest. Um, you know, we put police officers in a place where they are responding to these kinds of um, incidents and where they are. You know, arresting someone. They didn't necessarily ask to be there, that's their job. Um, and so, you know, they may have assaulted someone during the course of that, but also a judge or a jury has to take into consideration why that officer was there. Um, so it, it can become more complex than just, you know, a bar brawl. <laughs>
0: There's another element to this, too, and uh, since you've spent so much time in this, I'm glad that you're know, the one writing this to give us that perspective on this. Uh, and you talk about the situation where you know tri- uh, charges may be dismissed by a judge. And again, that usually invokes a hue and cry from p- some people in the public say, aha, see, it's favoritism. But mm-hmm. but judges, just like Crown attorneys, uh, almost have like a, a series of boxes they need to check. And, and if you can't check those boxes, uh, you can't proceed.
1: Right, yeah. And I mean, I think that's something that... Um, can be misunderstood by the public it, it, because it's a little bit more nuanced, just in terms of why charges get um, withdrawn or why a judge might choose to dismiss charges. Um, and I do think that an important point that came out of this research is that there does need to be greater transparency around decisions to withdraw um, charges. Just you know, because crown prosecutors often don't necessarily they, they aren't required to provide Mm -hmm. a rationale for that decision. And we may want to have a look at that because it can fuel sort of um, a distrust among the public about why these decisions are being made. Um, But also, I do think on a broader point, it's important to remember that we have a system that assumes innocence, right? So, you know, we assume that everyone that's charged with a crime is innocent and it is up to a Crown lawyer to prove otherwise and that bar, as I was mentioning earlier, is very high. Um, This is a good aspect of our system. Um, it means that we we generally don't convict people who aren't um, well. I don't know. You'd have actually have quite a bit of an argument, I think, if you got lawyers in a room to decide about whether you know our system works perfectly. But it does assume that it is you need really high quality evidence to convict someone, and um, for the reasons that we go into into this article and are in the research paper, um, these cases are particularly challenging when it comes to amassing that uh, kind of evidence that is re- very strong to lead to a conviction.
0: But you put your finger on, I think, one of the more contentious points about this. And, and as you say, we're here about decisions a lot of the time, uh, Wendy, and... and- There's no explanation. And, you know, as they say, with no explanation comes speculation. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't say why they dropped the charges. They didn't say why they reduced the charges. Uh, So as a result, it must have been favoritism. It could have been this. It's in the eye of the beholder. People are outraged. That's only going to outrage them even more. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I know that there have been discussions about this. There was, of course, an inquiry just a couple of years ago into the SIU and other things, and a number of recommendations Mm -hmm. were made at that time. I don't know how many of them actually have been acted upon. But one of them is more transparency. Please explain exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it so people can get mm-hmm. a handle on this. They may not like the the end result, but at least they're going to understand the process. Right now, we don't have any information.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would push back a little bit on that just because, you know, um, I completely agree there needs to be greater Um, transparency on uh, the Crown front in terms of once charges are laid, having having those, um, if they're withdrawn, having a little bit more explanation of why that was done. I think in the case of the SIU, um, when they don't lay charges at all, what we have seen as a result of the inquiry that you were just mentioning that that was done by uh, Justice Tulloch, um, is actually quite a bit more transparency from the special investigations unit, um, explaining why charges are not laid. So typically now, what we'll see um, is if if there was was an investigation that was done and charges don't result from it, there's usually a pretty fulsome report now that includes information about you know who was invest- who was um, interviewed rather you know, photos from the scene if it's possible, you know, in a recent very high-profile case in Toronto, um, they released uh, some of the transcripts from 911 calls, which I've actually never seen before, um, a timeline of, you know, the incident. So, I would say that, as a result of that review, the SIU has actually really uh, stepped up to provide a lot more information about about um, the decisions that it makes. Of course, what we're talking about today is the the incident when the, the, in fact do lead to charges. And you will see that when the SIU announces uh, charges against a police officer, it's extremely short. It's just, you know, the name of the officer, the name of the offenses, and um, that's it. And that's because illegally it's before, you know, the courts now. And so they, they cannot provide any more information. And unfortunately our system is really bogged down. It can take a very long time to um, have something go to trial. And so it can seem like there's no information. And of course, you know, it's a whole other issue bill, but you know, there aren't uh, reporters who can follow every single charge along the way. Right. Because Mm -hmm. we have, you know, shrinking media. So that means that we don't have, um, that the outcomes of these cases are not reported. So um, I completely agree with you. It can be it can be very challenging to, to know the outcome of kind of every single case unless you have researchers who would do it, do it for you.
0: Well, <laughs> so and, and therein lies the problem. I, and I know the yeah. you know, the burden that's on somebody like you, Wendy. I, I, I mean, one of my good friends here in Hamilton, of course, is Susan Claremont, a colleague of yours, who's ah, been yeah. doing the same job for years and years and okay. years. And and yeah. you can't be in five places at once. That that's part of the problem right. with the with mm-hmm. this. And there was a time when they had five different reporters to do that. But not anymore. Yeah. And yep, so exactly. there's there's that element of the information as well. I exactly. can ask you though. We got a minute or so left here. Uh, you've been, you've been doing this for a long time. You've been around police services and you've been around uh, this, this reaction to this. Uh, there's a, another perception. I just want to get your read on this. That a lot of people are saying. Well, as soon as an officer gets charged with anything, assault and even a driving offense, uh, they just band together and and you know they're with him no matter or her no matter what. Uh, the overwhelming majority of people that are charged, as you mentioned, in the piece are male. Though, uh, yeah. <laughs> is, is there is there that sense that uh, that it's it's the you know, or or do they actually look at it the other way and simply say, you know what, that's a bad apple. You know, we're better off without that individual.
1: Oh, that is such a hard question to answer. I think you know. You got thirty seconds.
0: Thing, no, I'm just putting okay. pressure.
1: On. <laughs> uh, one thing I'll say is that you know reporting on policing for a while i I have learned that there are a lot of really excellent officers out there who are in it for the right reasons and then of course there are other officers who make them look bad i did hear from someone yesterday who said that they were a police officer and and you know he sounded like he was quite pleased with um you know the peace and also you know upset at the uh you know lack of consequences for officers that are perceived to or that have broken the law um and uh and so, it, it, you know, it does tar the, the profession when there are um, police officers who break the law and then, of course, a, a perception that, that maybe they get away with it. Um, and, of course, we don't know if that perception is entirely accurate. Data like this can help us get a better understanding of that potentially, but it doesn't tell us that, you know, give us that answer. Yeah,
0: no, because I've had the same response. I know a lot of officers are just saying, you know what, you you make us all look bad when you mm-hmm. when you carry on like this, and and mm-hmm. that's problematic, and and some of the other stuff too that we, the public would make assumptions to. Uh, I know one of the more contentious articles uh, issues right now, of course, is you know uh, an officer suspended with pay, and that can go on for years during a, pol- mm-hmm. a hearing. Uh, but you know you talk to the chiefs of police, and they say we don't want that either. Uh, yeah. the, you know that's something we're trying to get overturned. So you have to understand that there's a debate going on even within the police service uh, about. Is some of these contentious issues too which is why it's it's that much more important to 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 have the facts here and and to put some perspective on this Uh, and that's why this is such a great piece and i'm so glad you had some time to come on and talk to us about it today wendy thank you so much
1: yeah thank you for having me it was a pleasure bill
0: Take care and stay well. Wendy Gillis, reporter for the Toronto Star. By the way, it uh, was just published yesterday, so it's still on their webpage. page. Uh, you can get all the information there about uh, the information and the great research that she's done. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900-CHML.